Welcome to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. Please open your hearts to hear an anointed message that will encourage and empower you to walk in the love and light of God's Word. Beloved, we have reached part three of Tickled Ears and Broken Cisterns. And as promised in our last message, today we're going to address what it means to be a genuine Christian and the new birth miracle, without which no one will see the kingdom of heaven. I've covered this most important topic in past messages, but with current events lining up with such last days prophetic precision, the truth regarding salvation's mandate has never been more critical than it is now, because time is swiftly flying by us, as the minute hand on eternity's timepiece moves closer to the stroke of midnight. Even on an individual basis, no man or woman knows when their last moment on earth will be. And therefore, even though all signs point to the reality that we are so very close to the rapture, and the last things that must take place before the end of the age culminates and eternity commences, every day until then holds within it the individual possibility of the people of earth facing their own personal physical death. But while their bodies will once again return to the dust, their spirit will live on forever. Which brings us to the critical point of this message. Where will that forever be? There are only two choices, either heaven or hell. For no, despite what Roman Catholicism falsely teaches, there is no purgatory or second chances, after death, to make salvation's eternal life choice. Only here on earth, in the days of his allotted lifetime, is man given the opportunity to make the most important decision he will ever make. Knowing this, the enemy has orchestrated many false ways that seduce man by way of his carnal nature. Even in the masterful counterfeits to genuine Christianity, his falsehoods will always appeal to man's flesh. As long as the agents of darkness continue to tickle ears and make fallen man feel good about himself, he will never come to the realization that in his sinful and fallen nature, mankind is bankrupt of any true goodness, and that apart from God's great love that was divinely demonstrated in his son's perfect blood atonement sacrifice, that he offered up on our behalf. There is no hope for the eternal life that only Jesus can give. In Ephesians 1, 18-23, and chapter 2, 1-9, we are given understanding of salvation's grace-filled miracle that takes hold in the spirit of a born-again child of God. It is important that I read verses 18-23 to in chapter 1 before reading the chapter 2 verses because they present a bridge between the Lord's majestic power, in which he conquered sin and death, and the resultant new birth miracle that is afforded to the one who will repent and put their full trust in the finished redemptive work of our Savior. It is written, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who is all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." That, beloved, is what it means to be a genuine Christian. Jesus reiterates this awesome eternal life gift of grace in John chapter 6 with emphasis on the reality that it is faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone that manifests salvation's new birth miracle within the sin-deadened spirit of man. When the multitudes had witnessed the miracle of the loaves and fishes, they followed Jesus in boats and came to Capernaum seeking him. When they found him, Jesus said to them, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They then said to him, What shall we do then, that we may work the works of God? And in response, Jesus answered again and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, whom he has sent. The Greek word for believe in that passage, beloved, is pistuo, and its meaning reaches far deeper than having merely a mental assent or knowledge of. For James 2.19 tells us that even the demons believe and shudder. To scripturally believe in the Son of God is to know him in truth and to put your full confidence in him and his atoning work alone. It requires yielding yourself to his lordship in full and uncompromised belief in and acceptance of his unadulterated word of life, without adding to or taking away from it in any way. Many false ways will acknowledge Jesus, but not as his word accurately reveals him. Paul the Apostle gave warning with a curse set upon those who come preaching another Jesus, meaning that there is only one true Savior but that there are many counterfeits of him that are being preached. Here are just a few examples of the blasphemous and false preaching of another Jesus. Roman Catholicism, among many other blasphemies, preaches Jesus as the son of Mary, 
who in reality is the primary deity of that Babylonian cult. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also known as Mormonism, preaches Jesus as the brother of Lucifer and one of the several gods created by the super-god Adam, who was an exalted man. The Jehovah's Witnesses preach that Jesus and Michael, the archangel, are one and the same. The Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, preached that Jesus was only a spiritual redeemer who failed to provide the physical redemption that the new Messiah, Reverend Moon, would supply. However, he died in 2012, and now they call themselves the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. The Worldwide Church of God preaches that Jesus is part of a Godhead that is opened to perfected man. The Way International preaches that Jesus was a created being, but not God himself, but that he was sent by God to die for the sins of man. And the mind sciences, such as Christian science, religious science, unity, and so on, preach Jesus as only a man who manifested the Christ potential that resides in each person. All of these false ways, among the many others that have been orchestrated by Lucifer, will soon be absorbed into the one-world religion of the Antichrist, and the world, through the manipulative coercing of the false prophet, will give their worship to the beast. In these last prophetic minutes on earth, the Holy Spirit is heralding love's last call while there is yet time, and he will not leave those who really seek to know the one who alone is the way, the truth, and the life in the dark. By his word, he has revealed the genuine Jesus in majestic and trustworthy revelation. We read the sacred acknowledgment in the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and verses 13 to 18, where it is written, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He then said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Beloved by Holy Spirit inspiration, the eyes of Peter were opened to see Jesus in divine recognition, as not merely a good teacher or just one of the prophets, but as the Son of God and God himself. And here it is critical to understand, especially for those who are of the Catholic persuasion, that Jesus was not dubbing Peter as the rock or first pope, as Roman Catholicism falsely teaches. He was using Peter's name, which in the Greek language is Petros, and means stone or rock, only in type and symbol. For it was not upon Peter, but upon the rock of Peter's confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus would build his church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Scripture is very clear that it is Jesus alone who is the rock of our salvation. A few examples are as follows. In 2 Samuel 22, 
2 to 3. The prophet writes that, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. In Psalm 62, 1 to 2, it is also written, My soul waits in silence for God only, for from Him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, Paul recounts how the Israelites, while in the wilderness, ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. And this is where we must pause for now, beloved, but I pray you'll join me next time because we have a lot more to cover. Until then, and as always, beloved, I bid you his agape. You've been listening to Love's Last Call with Evangelist Carol Ann of Agape Light Ministries. If you have a prayer request, please contact us at Agape Light Ministries, P.O. Box 6313, Chesterfield, Missouri, 63006 or via our website at www.agapelightministries.com. Again, that's www.agapelightministries.com.